Hello and welcome to In Conversation with Lisa Burke. It's my great pleasure today to welcome Sergio Coronado and Nathan Summers and we're going to discuss digital ethics. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Sergio, starting with you, tell us a little bit about what the Luxembourg Tech School is. Well, the the Luxembourg Tech School is an educational concept we created to help the new generation, the teenagers at at the Lisa level, to learn technology because they are surrounded by technology and the best we can do is to teach them how to use it to become future leaders. And Nathan, you are just finalizing your studies with UCLA, the University of California in Los Angeles. At the moment you're here in Luxembourg and you spent most of your young life growing up in Luxembourg. And I believe you're majoring in cognitive science. Yes, that's true. Tell me a little bit about what your course involves. Okay, so cognitive science is a relatively new major, but it involves like a a cross between neuroscience, psychology, philosophy, and computer science as well. Really interdisciplinary, very interesting. And when we think about digital ethics, Sergio, why do you think it's important to consider it as part of the Luxembourg Tech School? Well, I think we can all recognize that we are more and more consuming technology, and we don't realize what it means in terms of society. And more and more, we are merging the physical world with the digital world. You know, we see this in the movies, but it's just happening in front of us and the COVID has just accelerated. So it's not only that we no longer go to the bank, we strictly depend on this e-banking application, just very small example. So if the e-banking application crashed tomorrow, we suddenly don't know what to do, you know? Yeah, we can go to the ATM. Yeah, but I don't have a car. I don't remember the PIN and so on. So more and more, we are depending on mobile phones, on on using the Netflix, on many, many other tools, emails and so on to our life. So we are seeing now and we are not realizing it that we have merged or we are in the middle of the merge between the physical world and the digital world. And we have to help the younger generation to understand why and how to deal with it. And Nathan, you will have grown up in a generation with all of your friends and people coming up beneath you, our children, Sergio. You know, we have teenage children as well in a world where you know no different. You are part of this tech generation. Yeah, definitely. For me, my virtual or digital life is as much like a part of me as my physical life. Right? I have Instagram accounts and Facebook accounts and I probably do more social interaction on those than I do in real life, particularly in a time right now where it's difficult to meet with people in person. But also, since I have went to the international school and friends moved all over the world and I have friends back in the US too, so I can, it helps me keep in contact with, with them as well. So it is it is certainly like something I probably take for granted, but it's definitely part of part of my life and, and every and all I know really. And when we think about digital ethics, it's thought that is moving very rapidly and perhaps the laws are not keeping pace with the technology. And so do you feel it's important for the creators, the developers, as well as the end product users to be aware of what is right or is not right? Yeah, I think that the key subject is is what you mentioned, is is more the end user. We have to explain what is behind and, and the potential issues with the technology to the end user. The producers are not taking care of that. I will not say they are doing that on purpose. Some of them are using some tools to get you more connected. But... What we need is to help the end user to understand what could go wrong and also how to use it in the positive side, the technology, to avoid. And then we as a consumer can go back to the producers and the governments to say this has to be regulated. This should not be done this way. 
But when you say that the producers are not taking care of it, we could look back at diets, for instance, or even smoking cigarettes. It is in the interest of a business, of a corporation, to get people onto their platforms. But don't you feel they should and ought to have a responsibility to take care of this? Yeah, of course, they have full responsibility on whatever product they put on you. I mean, it's the same like a car manufacturer. If, if they deliver the cars with the wrong braking system, they have a responsibility. It's just that in the digital world, it takes more time to realize it because it's digital. You don't see it. There is no physical car with brakes. I give you another example uh, on today's issue is that we see parents buying wearables to kids to use as health and trackers. Imagine these kids of 12 years old controlling his or her weight. I mean, what are we doing? They don't have the maturity to understand that there might be or no issues there with your weight. And then we could we could lead very younger generations to anorexia without wanted, simple because we were missing the two worlds and there were no controls in place, which ethics should highlight. The suppliers should make sure that this is no use at that age range. And if it's required, the rules, there should be rules and regulations who helps to do it in a safe way. Well, let's take a few examples of things that surround us at the moment in our digital lives when it comes to perhaps the younger generation, but not exclusively. Let's firstly start with gaming. So I'm going to turn to you, Nathan. I think you're a gamer. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Tell me about some of the positives about gaming and also some of the negatives. And I ask you this because I have friends who are parents who have sons in this case, and it does seem to be more a male pastime, and they are addicted to gaming. So I would like your thoughts on this. Addiction is certainly an issue. And you see, you see, like, particularly in mobile app development, games like Candy Crush actually hire psychologists to, to figure out how they can make their app trigger those addiction centers in your brain, which is certainly concerning. But in a broader sense, I think that gaming can, can really help with social interaction, particularly in a time where you can't go out and play like soccer or whatever with your friends. So it's a lot easier to just go home and, and hop on your, your PlayStation or your Xbox or, or your computer and, and play a game with your friends. And it's also a, a really great way socially to meet new people. I personally haven't made that many friends online, but I know a lot of people. I've heard stories of, of people who, who do make like lifelong friends on online gaming. So we have the friendship element, we have the community element where people can come together, particularly like you say now through the COVID times and we're yeah. all locked down at home. That's a positive because mm -hmm. you feel like you have this interaction. But when it comes to the addiction, you mentioned Candy Crush and the fact that they're, <laughs> the companies are hiring psychologists. Sergio, this is where the law is so nebulous. It's not even there at the moment. How can that be okay? The first thing we have to realize is most of the people that potentially have to help and regulate this has no clue. They have never played a game. So we try to regulate something that we even don't know. So how come we try to criticize Nathan's <laughs> of this world? I'm not criticizing have, him. I was and, asking him. And, and we never play, you know. So the first thing is we have to understand how this, this socializing or, or, or entertainment tool works. And then we can start saying, okay, how we should look the positive way of using it. Because as Nate mentioned, you know, you can socialize, you can also learn skills of, of gaming. So the question is how you use it in the, in, the, in the right dose so it does not become an addiction. So Nathan, just give me a few examples of things that you can learn, because I mean, the gaming world is huge. Right. So there are several studies out right now that talk about math learning, particularly that's more for like younger children is it can be really done really well in gaming, not like necessarily your drill games, where it's just like answer two plus two or five times six or whatever, as fast as you can, but more like games that 
overcome what's referred to as like the symbol barrier and, and work more about like the actual fundamental mathematics at hand, right? So games can also help with like physics understandings. For instance, Minecraft has a, 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 a thing called redstone in it, right? Which helps teach children about basics of electrical engineering from like the age where they don't really even realize that that's what they're doing. They just think it's like fun and they can make cool machines with it, but it teaches them about like logic gates and all those kind of like things that are, are integral and and if you get to a more professional level, like actual professional electrical engineers go into this game and make functional like Turing machines, like computers in this game with nothing but like this resonant, which is pretty, pretty incredible, uh, you know, because it's just all electrical impulses and ifs, ands and uh, ifs and ors or thens and stuff. So it is pretty incredible as far as that. And then there's certainly like keeping your reaction time sharp. Those are more like action shooters, for instance, like a Call of Duty or... Or, or, or battlefield or, or any of those like kind of kind of series help with um with like your ability even in, as you get older and your cognitive ability like or reaction time starts to decline a little bit playing these games can actually help reverse that a little bit and help keep you a little bit more more sharp and quick Sergio, I'm going to talk to you as a parent now. You have uh, some teenage children. And during this time of lockdown, a lot of parents have had to work from home and online devices have been to some degree, a godsend because parents have had one or two hours where they can do something. But how do you manage to control it? And how do you manage to put on some barriers and say, hey, that's enough now. We need to do something else. Well, the first step is to realize it, <laughs> that there is an issue. And, and it's not only COVID. COVID is just an example or, or accelerate the, the issue. Uh, so we as a parents, and, and you see that even before COVID going to restaurants, you see the parents giving the kids the iPhones or the, the phones so they can entertain where they are talking, you know, as adults. So and, and as, as we discussed, it has been accelerated by COVID. As parents, we have to stay home for, for teleworking while they were there, there was no school and so on. So we connect them. So we help them to be connected. And then we, we have an issue. Oh, but they are connected until four in the morning. So this is not okay. Yeah, of course, it's not okay. Two things we have to realize. First is that we have a responsibility to do something about it. And the second one is we have to do something about it. So in my case, uh, we, we have simple rules. No electronic devices in the room. That's the first one. And the second one is we agree on a timing. Again, we agree on a timing. And I repeat that, you know, we agree on a timing. It's not like, it's not like no, 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 no. Listen, there is this, which is okay, but there is also this book. Let's also play together. So you have to give the substitution or the complement of the entertainment and the activity because we as a humans have to be busy. We cannot ask them to sleep like babies the whole day. So we have to, we have to get occupy our brain. Our brain is a machine that needs to be active. So, of course, gaming has this engineering way that will keep you connected. It's so easy for parents, but then you have the problem that now you are connected. So you have to add substitution. So it's not only to say no or rules, is that you need to add content to it. it. means let's do this, let's read a book, let's play, let's go even to the garden, let's play cards, let's learn how to build a game, let's do coding together if that is your skill. I'm going to now move on to social media, which is something that I think the girls are more into, perhaps not just the girls growing up. It's also us adults. And indeed, in my world of media, and not only that, we use it as a tool to connect with all sorts of communities that we want to know about the work we're doing or to just pass information or to find information. In fact, I can think of many here in Luxembourg where community based social networks 
absolutely rely on social media. So give me your thoughts on the use of social media and some of the ethics around it. Nathan. Social media, I think, is a really great tool. I, I, I'm able to keep in touch with people from all over the world, people that I've met just even briefly. And, and then, you know, you can create good friendships that you wouldn't have otherwise made. So I think there's certainly a lot to be said. I do think that you have to be aware because with the Cambridge Analytica thing that happened with Facebook, there is manipulation on the side of these platforms that can drive certain more vulnerable populations to be influenced by showing them targeted advertisements or, you know, whatever whatever else it might be that is potentially dangerous, right? And also recently Twitter with Trump's tweets and stuff, they're finally fact-checking them. But prior to that, and Facebook even doesn't really fact-check. So, you know, there's, there's issues as far as that goes in terms of like, what is the obligation of these platforms to not necessarily police content, but... To check their sources. Yeah, and to kind of, particularly in an age where misinformation is so rife, how do you determine what is true and what isn't really? At the well, I imagine this is something you come across in your own studies. How do you source your material to check that it's true? Well, we're told to look at like peer-reviewed empirical scientific studies. They are pretty dense and, you know, not always the most like thrilling to read. However, a lot of articles ideally should cite, and some do for sure, cite studies from which they draw their conclusions from. But, you know, a lot of the times people don't really read those studies and it's easy to kind of read the studies in a certain light that maybe the researchers didn't necessarily intend to be read into or or, or they're drawing like false conclusions that you can kind of support from the, the study. But if you read the study itself, aren't fully supported. So, so to cross-reference multiple times, before, yeah. depending on that cross-reference, to be mm-hmm. <laughs> to be truthful as well. Sergio, turning to you, when it comes to social media, and as Nathan was just saying, a lot of us as users, consumers, we are relying on the the algorithms that have been developed by these mega tech companies, but most of us won't have a clue. Even I would say most of the people working in these tech giants won't have a clue at how these algorithms have been formed or what they mean or how they manipulate our own systems, such as Facebook, for example. Tell us how that works. These platforms, these social media platforms, is, is all about hardcore technology. Is about algorithms. This is the reason why they are so big and scale up to reach the world. It's based on this idea of sharing content and connecting your transactions and then using algorithms to play with it. So it was not created with that intention. It just happened as people get connected and content and data was pulled together that some minds realize, oh, I can give you what you need. And certainly, like every technology, it can be used for harm. And that is when we have this ethical dilemma. We have these algorithms can be so powerful to decide what you see and what you get. And we even don't know how to do it. The problem is the technology is growing faster than we as a human ever to understand and to analyze. As you said, even the, the own people behind those tools, they even are 100% sure. They can even create damage without no intending to do that. And I'm not saying that, of course, there are algorithms that are created to make you addict and to sell you a particular product. This, this, of course, is there. And with the support of psychologists and everything. But what we have is a complex technology that's going faster than how we as a human are able to understand. And if you translate that, let's say, to the what I would call the normal end user, somebody that has no tech background, then you are completely lost in this world. And this is why we have to kind of step back and say, hey, what are we doing? Where are we going with all of this? It's fantastic. 
as a technology because it can connect us. You can reach people, you can reach a lot of content, you can distract yourself, you can learn. But at the same time, we have to, to make a step back and say, okay, we have to put some rules. And not only that we have to put some rules, is, which is more important, we have to teach people about these tools. We don't do that. We teach all kinds of things in the school. We don't teach people about how to use social media. Another point you just raised there is not just about social media, but the rules. So you say we have to put the rules in place. Who is the we? Because we're not talking about a country here. When we think about digital ethics, it's global. Anybody with a phone, well, in most parts of the world, can download something like Facebook. Not everywhere for different reasons. We won't go into those. But who is the we? Where should this superpower organization even be based? So I don't have that answer <laughs> because we, we first need to understand the problem before we can find the solution. And I don't think we really understand the size of the problem. And we see this just two days ago, this hearing in, in, in the Congress in the US with the big giants, you know, the big tech giants to sit there. And this is really the top of the iceberg because they are not writing those algorithms anymore. Some of them did it at the very beginning. There is hundreds and thousands of engineers writing these algorithms. I don't have the answer how this should be regulated. What I strongly believe is the more we educate and highlight the ethical issues in the society, we have a chance to answer that question. Nathan, we're here at RTL. It's a news organisation. Fake news is another issue. It can be borne through social media. I firstly want to ask you, you and your friends, where do you ingest most of your news? Where do you get most of your news from these days? I like to get my news from a variety of sources. I'll, I'll read around several sources. For like U.S. politics, I try and stay out of American <laughs> uh, sources because they tend to be a little bit biased one way or the other. I like reading like BBC for that kind of stuff. I also like Reuters because Reuters tends to be quite just to the point, only the facts and leaves you to draw your own conclusions kind of from it. I don't often read Fox, but sometimes I think that, you know, there is some benefit to seeing that point of view if only to maybe convince you that, yeah, I don't really want to read this paper. I know a lot of people do get their news on so, on like social media. A lot That's of people, really where my question came yeah. from, because there are many people who only get their news from social media. And as we've just been speaking, Sergio, a lot of this is, <laughs> it's biased through the way in which algorithms work. Correct. Because most of these algorithms are built on a profile which is created based on what you consume. So sometimes people are surprised that suddenly they get an alert from Amazon, buy this. And this is because there is data correlation between your traffic on the internet. But that's not necessarily what you want. You know, you, you were searching on a news because you have curiosity. It's not the means you want to buy the particular product. So a lot of these algorithms are taking decisions for us. And that is a huge risk. And of course, a huge ethical problem. And we have to realize that. And that's what I said. This is, this is the world of today. We have to understand that. It's not going to change tomorrow. So we have to be conscious that what you are consuming, even on, on the online medias, you know, whatever is BBC or RTL and so, could be targeted by an algorithm, which not necessarily is taking your, your conscious decisions of what next you want to do. So there is a disconnect there. We are merging the two worlds, but we are dis there, there is a disconnect. We are no part of this algorithm's engine's creation and usage. Moving on to a slightly different topic, and I'm looking at you, Nathan, now, because I imagine you're in your early 20s. Mm -hmm. Cyberbullying. You have grown up in the generation where 
you're surrounded by tech in a way that I certainly wasn't when I was your age. Have you come across any cyberbullying? When I was younger, I think we all got Facebook around like 12 or 13, which is young for sure. I don't know if, if we were, any of us were mature enough really to kind of have that kind of connectivity to the whole world. But I don't know if it was it was necessarily as targeted as I'm sure it can be. Um, what I see more is people just on, on places like Twitter and stuff, people like to bully, I guess, other people that they don't know. It's more like being able to hide behind a mask of anonymity kind of gives you the the feeling that it's okay to just be horribly rude to people that you don't necessarily know, right? Like, I think it is harder to be so cruel to somebody that you have to see on a daily basis, right? It's a lot easier to just go on to somebody's Twitter account that you're never going to meet and then just tweet something horrible at them or, or like if they say something, then you reply and give your thoughts in a cruel way or whatever. So I certainly think that that there is a lack of respect towards other people on the internet that is certainly fueled by users' anonymity. So when we think about the ethics of this, Sergio, where can one draw the line? I mean, how do you even begin to police that? And the world is a large place. There's a lot of people on Twitter. How do you even begin to cut down, clamp down on the freedom of speech? You can do a lot with algorithms also. <laughs> okay, to a certain level, you can, you can actually filter. Uh, you can maybe, you know, use the Pareto rule. You can probably filter 80%. Uh, maybe maybe you filter some positives in the in the process, but that's what algorithms are all about, uh, and we are talking about the mass. Uh, however, I want to go to my point. Uh, we we have to teach people because what Nathan mentioned is an issue of value system. So we use this technology without creating the values of what it means to potentially write negative, strong uh, to a person on Twitter because we have not measured the value system there. We have the value system when we use the physical interaction. You know? Well, you're assuming that everybody has the same value system. Yeah, yeah, cor correct. We also have to be sure we match them. But the problem is we have zero. You know, based on this technology, you take whatever value system you have in your small world and trying to extrapolate that in the digital world. And that doesn't work. It's just not fitting. So where know? are you going to get this, this universal value system from? Again, it's the education system. We have to go back and revisit the educational system because the educational system is not created anymore for the society where we live. Well, that's that's another <laughs> slightly sidestepped conversation. So we could go down that rabbit hole, which is that the education system is not keeping pace with the digital world at all, which is sort of why you created the Lux Tech School in the first place. Correct. Correct. We created to, with the support of, of, of the educational system because the educational system recognized, yes, we have to get technology inside, not as a nice to have. It's something we needed because we, we're kind of late already, you know, the technology have to cover. So we are trying to catch up. And so when we discuss these ethical issues, it's because the technology develop and then we are looking, oh, how we can control it. Well, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's too late, but it grows so fast and so quick that, that, you know, it's a chicken and egg situation now. So what do you think are the steps forward? I mean, from your point of view, as the founder of the Luxembourg Tech School, and you're going to create this digital ethics program within it, how are you going to go about doing that? And what will be your main topics to start with? Well, the idea first is, is to create a critical thinking about the importance of digital ethics to our students. So it's to give them this opportunity for them to be part of 
the other challenge we have is we're trying to regulate their activity. I mean, they're talking about kids and, and, and teenagers or young adults without giving them an opportunity to participate. You know, we try to tell them, no, don't do that. It's bad. They say, well, well you haven't talked to me. You don't, you don't play games. So can we have a conversation? So the idea is to start with this uh, digital ethic now, which is a conversation between Nathans, <laughs> probably a little bit younger, and us, the coaches of LTS, about issues. And there are all kinds of issues. When we talked about algorithms, we are talking really what people call AI, which is now almost everywhere, even if you don't want. When you use a, a navigation in, in your car and you put Google Maps, so an algorithm there is taking decisions for you. And we are not creating this, the critical thinking. Not always the right decisions in my case, I sometimes think. And that is exactly the point I want to say. So if you don't have the critical thinking that maybe it's not the right route or the best route, you might not change it. You just go blind and say, well, it said turn left. There is a sign that said it's forbidden. And you say, well, the GPS said turn left. So it must be true. The sign is over right by the algorithm, you know, you as a human and taking this crazy decision. So we have to create this, this discussion to have the critical thinking about technology. And then we have a chance to really, I would not call again regulation, but to really find the best way to continue this merge between the digital and physical world. Nathan, turning to you as a, a young adult and your friendship groups, do you feel that you and your friends are technically very aware of the issues? Yeah, for the most part. My friends tend to be like very like plugged into a lot of these things. You know, like a, a lot of my friends are, are aware of the dangers of fake news and, and misinformation and addiction and stuff. And, and they try and like live their lives according to that that knowledge and that information. I do think that you know, growing up in that kind of environment has helped. I, I think that a lot of the times the people that tend to fall for, you know, disinformation tactics tend to be older people who maybe haven't had the same, they haven't grown up with this technology. They don't know that people can post whatever they want on the internet and there's no real like fact checker for the internet as a whole, right? Like you kind of see that sort of coming up now, but as a whole, it's not like really there. So, so I, I, I do think that being on these things kind of shows you like if, if I can post whatever, then just anybody else can post whatever, right? Like, like, and, and it helps you take everything that you see on line with like a pinch of salt, I hope. And, and I also think that, you know, a lot of my friend groups tend to be quite critical thinkers. I, I think that that's a skill that, you know, we developed through our education process. And I think that all my friends are, are quite highly educated, which obviously isn't a privilege that a lot of people have. So I, I agree with Sergio here when he says that the education is absolutely the most important step. Like you need to educate people on the dangers, but the benefits as well as of these technologies. Because even though right now a lot of these things are being kind of taken advantage of and, and the people that use them are being taken advantage of, we could be taking advantage of this technology and, and, and instead of the other way around kind of. Just thinking about the, the tech giants, we've seen a lot of them in the news over the last couple of years. They're so huge. They're so powerful. I mean, we've seen just uh, shares and things of things like Amazon and Zoom fly through the roof uh, through COVID times because we have suddenly had to live our lives in such a different way. I've even heard documentaries and podcasts on these tech giants now being so powerful. They are more powerful than governments and the decisions they make are incredibly important. So where does digital ethics come into their power base. Of, of course, in, if you look at the, the financial revenue, they have no interest on that. <laughs> uh, however, they also realize that there is a limit 
even to the growth. They reach a point that that if they want to continue, I would say, existing and helping society, because I don't think at that level, I mean, I'm talking about the owners, they don't need more money anymore. Okay, and, and you can see, for example, how Bill Gates moved from, from one side of generating money to the other side to giving almost all his money away. So, so I think we, we are close to that turning point. And the challenge is these individuals, and there we are talking about a few names, have to take that shift. They have to make that shift and say, we cannot continue just being a money generator. Because, you know, when you see the amount of cash Apple has, they, they have no, I mean, how are they going to burn that money? It's just, you know, it's billions there just sitting in a bank. So what are you going to do with that? Probably not sitting in a bank. The money's sitting in a bank. It's sitting somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) So they have, we have to push them, you know, and that's maybe what, for example, this congressional hearing is doing in a a particular format. We have to push them to say, sorry, Mr. Esquire said, now you have to do something different. You know, you reach a size point that in my view is not about discussion. We have to break them in two. Yeah, let's, let's divide this guy in two. I mean, what are we doing there? I don't think we're we're making any progress there, because they're not gonna com- you're not gonna break Facebook to two and they're gonna compete each other. One will be again the winner, you know, because the 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 challenge with technology, the digital, is that you you have no space to have the same thing several times. You can have several different car brands, but it makes no sense to have three hundred different tweeters, because then as as consumers, what are we gonna do? We're gonna have Twitter 1, Twitter 2, Twitter 3, Twitter 4. I mean, what is this? It's but just... we do have that. I mean, if you think about <laughs> all of the apps available now, I can think of a handful that are not too dissimilar. Yeah, but if, if you look at the giants, they're in, in one domain. They're the leader and the other ones are gone. You see Google searching. Nobody else is there anymore. Amazon, retail, online retail. Nobody else there, okay? Facebook, is um, you, you can you can Facebook is basically social media with with long history videos and pictures. There is no ma- well Instagram. Well, they bought it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can say TikTok. Yeah, don't worry. The, the, it will it will be taken or merged or something will happen there. Okay, Twitter. There's just only one. So so that is what I meant. You know, these are the winners because it's digital. And and so so there is. I don't see myself. If you ask me as a as a as a, as a tech person, which is my skill, I don't see that you can break them in two, you know, and have competitive products because it's just the the market will will swift to one, and stay there. Well, that hasn't been the way the capital system has worked, so far. We in in capitalist societies we work on competition. I mean, you, what you've said is correct, but why is that the case? Because it's digital. So the, the, the bad news of digital is that you don't need two the same. While in the physical world, you can have two the same and compete. Because this, at the speed you can change and destroy a digital product is instantaneous. While if you produce a car, you have to sell it. And if you don't sell it, you lose money. And the car is physically there. You have built it. You have put the resources on it. While in the digital world, yeah, there are hundreds of thousands of apps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But which ones are really making money? Content is a different story. Normally, people enjoy choice. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the digital world will not give you choice on that. Can give you choice on the content, but not on the platform. And I know I'm explaining something that not everybody can follow. I am following you. I'm thinking yeah. about the car designs here. Yeah. People are enjoying the end products of different choice. But you're yeah. supposed telling me that the the base. <laughs> structure of a car is the same. Yes, I mean, well, the cars have evolved to that, but still having different, different, different companies still, huh? and and you see that it's also shrinking at a certain point in time. 
a lot of the car companies are also owned by like several like yeah. a couple large yeah. conglomerates that yeah. own it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But in the digital world, this this not, will not work because it's digital. So you don't need the content in the digital world is what is the real asset. This is why we are ending with few platforms, one for search, one for social media, one for co- this short communication with Twitter, you know? Maybe we end in one streaming called Netflix. Yes, there are other ones that try to compete. But it's the same. That is a new market that is slowly getting to, to a level of competition. So you say, let's talk about, you know, streaming. When you have uh, uh, Disney Plus, you have uh, Apple, um, Amazon Prime, you have Apple, I don't remember, and, and Netflix. Yes. Oh, I have a choice there, at least I will say to me. Well, you will have a choice until, until one wins the other ones and start buying each other. And then you end in one because it's digital, you know. It's, 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 you don't have to move buildings like, like in the car manufacturer, you know. You have to build those factories. Here is all on software machines that, and, and servers that are there and you just change the purpose in, in, almost instantaneously, which you cannot do in a car factory. So you're telling me we have to change the whole capitalist system? Oh, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your solution? Well, again, I have no solution. First is to understand. So, so the first step, in my view, is to learn and understand what do we have on front. And then we potentially, as a society, could find a solution. Because we will always find a solution as humans, you know, even for COVID. <laughs> it's not easy for sure. But we, we are working together on COVID, for example, you know. So when, when pressure comes in a system, there is a moment when you have to get together and say, we need something different. And in the digital world, it's starting. So there is no coincidence that we have seen this hearing of the tech giants re- very recently, uh, or that we are talking here about digital ethics. And that we want to do that with teenagers in the Luxembourg Tech School, in the school system, we want to start having this critical discussion about what it means to use digital. I, I agree with a lot of what said. <laughs> He's been very eloquent. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> so, where do we go next then, Sergio? When we think about the Luxembourg Tech School and what you have planned ahead, where is it all going to begin? Will the students have access to this digital ethics kind of critical thinking come the fall? Yeah. Our idea is to start a series of conversations, you know, like this one, and go through different of the technologies, our domains, and have the conversation between some of our students and an expert in the domain to have this kind of, I don't want to call it debate, but a dialogue to understand the domain and how we can look the digital issues there and look the positive side. I always want to move from a problem to a solution. And that's what we want to teach to our students to solve problems. So let's look what are the issues around some of these technologies. For example, one that that I'm fascinated and very concerned at the moment, for example, is brain-computer interfaces. Because, you know, we talked about our mobile phones, we talked about wearables, but what happened with these companies that are building this brain implant, which you're going to control your car, you're going to control your computer, what happens if the minds that are building these brain-computer interfaces are creating back doors to control your brain? So imagine the, the ethical discussions and, and controls and rules that we have to put when we are discussed. And this has been built. You see? I'm highlighting a, a subject which we immediately think, oh, yeah, there are a lot of issues there. By the way, this has been built. Elon Musk is in, investing millions on a company for this. this is, he's just one. So where I'm hitting is on this critical thinking creation at this early age is what we need. It's what Nathan says in his experience. I mean, he's one of the privileged, like you and I, to have access to media and resources and technology to be critical. Well, we have to transmit this to everybody if possible. You have to be critical. You have to learn. You have to understand. 
It cannot be that these brain implants are being built and we just think, oh, this is nice. You know, this is Star Trek. Wait a minute, you should better learn about it. I can hear and see you nodding away, yeah. Nathan. I imagine with your cognitive science background, you're learning quite a lot about this. Well, I think the, the possibilities of neural links are, are fascinating, right? Like being able to, you know, there's so much possibility and like computing power in computers, obviously, and the ability to like communicate with a computer, the speed that you communicate with like your, the rest of the neurons in your brain would be completely world changing, right? But there are a lot of a lot of issues with that, right? Like like hacking is it becomes so much scarier when someone could hack into your brain and get access to everything that you've ever thought. I mean, I mean, there's Black Mirror episodes about stuff like this, right? Right. So it, it's certainly a very enticing technology, but a very but one that we need to ed- be educated about, and we need to we need to really discuss like the implications of such a technology, and like and like before it is like all encompassing, kind of like learn from the mistakes with social media and with these other tech giants where you can't let them get too big too fast and talk about these things while the, even though they might seem like they're still in the realm of science fiction it, it's coming along very quickly and and it probably won't be science fiction for that much longer better to confront those ideas now than when they're too late it's reminding me of the born identity and kind of just uh, having this elite race of uh, of humankind Yes, the privilege one. Yeah. The, well, potentially the privilege, depending on what, what's on that what's on that interface. Well, what a lovely note to end on. Have you any final thoughts? The idea is not to scare people. Tell people that they have a responsibility. That is not somebody else. That is not a government. It's not the Minister of Education. We have responsibilities to do something about it. This is how we create also the Luxembourg Tech School. We, we don't criticize others. We just join and do something. So here is the saying, don't feel scared to the discussion. Try to find out yourself and learn some, some of these ethical issues and try to do something about it. Nathan, the final word to you. The responsibility is at the end on, on yourself. Educate yourself. Don't just accept everything that you read at face value. Be skeptical, you know, read around. Make sure that you are getting information that is reliable. You know, read studies. Don't just trust articles that you read, you know, um, because there's no government that can oversee these tech giants, really. Like, you know, when they're making more money than countries are, then, then what country is going to be able to rein them in? So you have to, as a consumer, be aware of what it is that you're consuming and make sure that you are consuming as ethically as possible. Thank you both so much for your time. And we'll link, of course, to the Luxembourg Tech School in the show notes. And we very much look forward to seeing what you have in store for all of those young students come the autumn time. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.